This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. The Lord said something, the Holy Ghost said something to me the other day in the time of prayer, and I haven't been able to get away, with, away from it. He said this. He said, Godless men, I was praying for the country. He said, Godless men and foolish Christians accept the devil's agenda. Okay, I'm, I, I promise I'm going to get to verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated, separated from the life of God. That's what spiritual death is, is separation from God. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Now, this is not ignorance that can be excused because they chose to be ignorant. From the, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. The Bible says that Satan is the God of this world and he blinds the minds of them that, that, lest they should believe. Through the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling. This word past feeling means feeling no pain. In other words, it's the same thing Paul was writing to Timothy about in 1 Timothy chapter 4 where he talks about people having their conscience seared as with a hot iron. You know, if you get a blister and then it calluses over, you can stick yourself with a pen in that place and not feel a thing. Well, you can do that spiritually too. You can ignore the Spirit of God. You can ignore the truth to the point where you have no spiritual feeling. Your conscience doesn't, doesn't bother you anymore about right and wrong. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, sexual immorality, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ... If so be that you have heard of him. Actually, it's not heard of him. It's heard him. But Paul is saying, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to walk in the Christian faith, you're going to have to know Jesus. He's the only one of them that you can know, by the way. But you have not so learned Christ, if so that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something, folks. There are very, very few times in the letters that Paul writes that he uses the name Jesus alone. He talks about our Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about uh, Jesus, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Savior. But very, very seldom does Paul ever use Jesus alone. Why is that? Well, it comes, it goes down to the, uh, or comes down to the thing that he's talking about, about being renewed in your mind. Keep that in mind and we'll come back to it in just a moment. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I want you to notice something. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, uh, is it verse 7 I think it is, where he says, we have the mind of Christ. Nowhere does the Bible say that we have the mind of Jesus. Why is that? Well, if you had the mind of Jesus, then you'd know everything about ancient Nazareth. You'd know all the back streets of ancient Nazareth. You'd know the, the, the cultural events and the, the situations in the world that he lived in in that day. You'd know everything about carpentry. You'd know everything about the territory around the Sea of Galilee. That would be the mind of Jesus. And so often people have a hard time, Christians have a hard time accepting the things that the Bible says that we are to do. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. The same works uh, and even greater works that shall you do because of going to my father. Well, why does the church have such a hard time with that? Because they're trying to think the, with the mind of Jesus. 
You don't have the mind of Jesus. You've got the mind of Christ. You've got the mind of the anointed one who did the works, who said, I'm not the one doing the works by myself or of myself. It's the mind of Christ that enables you to think beyond human limitations to what God's plan of redemption accomplished. The old man has been put off by the work of Jesus on the cross. The fact that you made Jesus your Lord and Savior. Now live up to it. That's the practical application that he's giving in chapter 4. Live up to the new man that you've been made in Christ Jesus. How do we do that? By being renewed in the spirit of our mind. In other words, by taking upon ourselves the mind of Christ. What causes the mind of Christ to be developed in us? The knowledge of God through his word. The knowledge of God through his word. So he's telling us to put away the old man that's di- that died with Jesus. Don't keep living according to the old man because that's who you've been set free from. Put him away. Don't just set him aside to pick up and use later on when you yield to temptation. But put it away once and for all. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man. Notice you cannot put on the new man unless you renew your mind. This is what Paul was talking about to Romans in the Romans letter in chapter 12, verse 2. He said, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed to what? Transformed to live like the new man. That you may prove, literally experience, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's only the renewed mind living according to the new man, the Jesus life, the life of God that came to us through the sacrifice of Jesus our Savior. It's only through living according to that new man that you're going to experience the, the intent, the purpose, and the will of God for you. It's the only way you'll be able to experience the blessings of God in his fullness. Now remember Paul just told us in the previous chapter that the eternal wisdom of God, the, the wisdom of God that was established before the foundation of the world and kept as a mystery throughout all the ages was that man would be this new creature and exercise the same dominion over the devil that Jesus did when he was here on the earth. And that's the way for us to glorify God as individuals and as a church family. To live above the works of the devil. Not to succumb to the temptations of the devil. Oh, we're going to be tempted. We're going to be attacked. Those things are going to come. But to stand strong in faith and overcome those temptations and overcome those attacks... And that's what brings God glory. So be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God, by God in other words, has been created in righteousness and true holiness. So if you're going to put on the new man, what are you going to be operating according to? Righteousness and true holiness. How do we do that? What does this new man look like? Again, we, if we stopped right here and just talked about the theory of it, we would say, wow, that's, that's wonderful. Yes, we should live according to the new man. But what does that mean? What does that look like? might mean one thing to me and something else to you. What does living according to the new man look like? What is putting off the old man and putting, on, putting away the old man and putting on the new man look like? Notice the first characteristics that he mentions in verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. The first thing he mentions is, is the Christian's relationship to the truth. 
I don't know if you know this, folks, but Christianity has a different relationship with the truth than any and every other religion in the, on the earth. Buddhism has what it calls temporal truth and ultimate truth. Temporal truth is basically whatever people say on the earth or whatever accepted as scientific fact here on the earth. Ultimate truth can only be attained through meditation. Now, in meditation, by what, they, what they mean by meditation is not what the Bible means when it talks about meditation. Buddhist meditation is you open your mind up and you allow yourself to be guided to whatever this ultimate truth is. Now, Buddhism makes no distinction between evil spirits and God. And so Buddhists don't know who they're being led by. They just know when they attain this place of meditation, this place of serenity in meditation, they're being guided to what they call ultimate truth. In many places, it's error in being led into hell. So truth is this, is this moving target for everything except Christianity. And the first thing that the Bible tells you is to live according to the truth. Speak the truth with every man. Live honestly with every man. The Bible tells you to be honest even if it costs you. A good name is to rather be desired than riches. You can't have a good name unless you're honest. First thing the Bible says about being the new man, living according to the new man, is to live honestly according to the truth. Now, the truth is not, is not a variable for Christians like it is for everybody else. There's no my truth and your truth. That phrase has always bothered me. Well, this is my truth. But we know what the truth is. Jesus told us what the truth is in John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them, the disciples, believers. In his prayer to the Father, he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Wherefore, putting away lying... Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 26, be ye angry and sin not. Be angry and sin not. Let me, uh, let me read something to you here from Psalm 4, verse 4. Psalm 4, 4 says, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Paul is quoting Psalm 4, where he says, be angry and sin not. And from the Septuagint, it's even more of a direct quotation. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. It was the Bible of Jesus' day and Paul's day as well. So what, you, what uh, Paul is saying is it's not a sin to be angry. Jesus got angry. Jesus was angry when he chased the money changers out of the temple. The question is not or the issue is not whether or not we're angry. The question is what do we allow our anger to cause us to do? What action do we take because of the anger that we have? And the thing that he says about the new man, first and foremost, is speak the truth. Put away lying, speak the truth. We need to be people that say the truth even if it costs us, even if it hurts us. even No matter what the cost is, we need to be so honest and so truthful that everybody can see that we're transparent. Don't you love the way that the world talks about transparency and then lies at every turn? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the real thing. Yeah, but nobody else does it that way. That's why we need to. Second thing he says is be angry and sin not. He doesn't say don't be angry. He says when you are angry, don't let it lead you into sin. How do you do that? By exercising a time control over your anger. Let me read Psalm 4-4 again. 
stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Ephesians 4.26, again, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. What that's saying, the last part of the verse, is how you keep your anger from leading you into sin. It's saying exercise the time control. Don't let anger fester. Don't let it go overnight. Why? Well, I've heard scientific studies that say here's what happens when you go to bed angry and you wake up the next morning and you don't deal with your anger beforehand and so forth. And all those things may be true, but that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not talking about because it has a physiological effect on your body. He's saying this. He's saying the way to keep anger from leading you into a sinful action is very simply this, to stop the period of time or limit the period of time that you dwell on what you're angry about. Jesus chased the money changers out of the temple, let it go, and then healed the sick. Jesus didn't say, he didn't stomp around saying, well, I know I'm supposed to heal the sick, but these guys make me so mad. (laughs) He moved on. He dealt with it and moved on. That's what the Bible is saying. Psalm 4.4 brings out a little bit more in in, uh, uh, relation to this where it says communion with your own heart and upon your bed and be still. In other words, it's saying you're not going to be able to have fellowship with God while you're angry. So whatever's caused your anger, even if it's righteous anger like with Jesus, deal with it, move on so that you can fellowship with God. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. In the Jewish tradition, they end every, or they're supposed to end every day. I don't know how many people practice this. But they're taught to end every day in prayer. Settle everything else so that the last thing you do is pray. I think that's where praying by our bedside uh, was started. I used to do that as a kid. I don't know where I learned that. I don't know if my mom taught me or the church taught me or whoever taught me. But I, somehow or another, the last thing I'd do before I got in bed was I'd pray. Well, the principle is clear everything else out so that you can pray and be open with God at the la- as the last thing in your day. So be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. What's he saying? The word place is the word ground. It's saying very simply this. Your anger will be used by the devil if you don't limit its time period. It's only by limiting the time that the devil can't use it against you to exploit his purposes in your life. Next thing he mentions Here's the, the third characteristic. He said, let him that stole steal no more. Isn't it sad that you'd have to tell Christians to quit lying and quit stealing? But it's part of the old man. It's part of the old man. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Now, there's some interesting things here in this verse. Let him Rather let him labor working with his hands that thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Paul seems to be saying 
that God's plan for blessing, for prosperity, for whatever in your life is through a job. I know not everybody wants to hear that. But that's what Paul seems to be saying. And he says, let him that's a thief quit stealing and start working, not just so that he has enough for himself, but so that he can become a giver. Why? Because being a giver is the opposite of being a stealer or a thief, a taker. We're talking about new man versus old man. The old man was to take for himself. The new man wants to give to others. Next thing he says in verse 29, let no corrupt communication. The word corrupt means morally worthless. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I want to put verse 30 together with this, and grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. In other words, he's saying your speech can either bring the blessings of God through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, or it can grieve the Holy Spirit because you're talking about the wrong things. So what should we judge our speech by? Bible says in the Old Testament book of Psalms, it says, set a watch upon your mouth. Doesn't mean put your timepiece up there. It means watch what you say. Guard every every guard your lips from letting any word come out of your mouth that doesn't meet this qualification. Does it help or edify or build up whoever's going to hear it? If not, don't say it. Yeah, but it might be true. Doesn't matter. There are a lot of things that are true that don't meet the qualification of being edifying. So what do we do with those true things that aren't edifying? Let them go. Because the Bible says that God is not grieved by your thoughts. He's grieved by your words. Some people have the idea that if they think of something, they might as well say it because it's the same difference. It's not. Thoughts that are contrary to the word that aren't spoken or acted on die unborn. That's what doubt is. Doubt is a thought that comes to your mind that contradicts God's word. If you don't speak it, if you don't act on it, then it doesn't, it never gets planted in the ground, like seed into the ground. You plant into your spiritual ground through the words of your mouth. And it's interesting that the Bible doesn't say that stealing grieves God. It says that corrupt communication grieves the Holy Spirit. It seems to indicate that we have a greater responsibility where our words are concerned than anything else. Why? Because by your words you're justified and by your words you're condemned. According to what Jesus said. Then he starts on what we should do. And how we should operate in verses 31 and 32. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now some people want the definitions of these things. Well, what does bitterness mean? What does clamor mean? What does wrath and anger mean? What is evil speaking? And most of the time I've found that the people that want the definitions are trying to get as close to the edge of the cliff as they can. Anything that you think might be bitter or qualifies bitterness, don't have anything to do with it. Anything you think has to do with wrath, meaning sinful actions to anger, don't have anything to do with it. Let all anger be put away from you. Now, what about Jesus? Well, there are things that righteous anger will lead us to do that are in line with what the Word of God says. Those are, those are different. 
But that's not what most of us deal with. If it comes close, don't have anything to do with it. What about evil speaking? What does that mean? You know what it means. You know when you're getting close. The Holy Spirit will warn you. The Holy Spirit will witness to your heart. Your conscience will tell you. In other words, because you're trying to live according to the new man, stay as far away from sinful actions and thoughts and attitudes as you can. And instead, verse 32, be kind one to another. Be kind one to another. Notice what the new man does. The new man operates in kindness. Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Not hard-hearted. Not a seared conscience, but tender-hearted. Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. Paul knows what the Lord's Prayer is. And this is not what he's saying. You remember the Lord's Prayer is, forgive and God will forgive you. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying we should forgive because God has forgiven us. Since God has already forgiven us, we should operate in the same level of forgiveness that he did toward us. We should, toward others, operate in the same level of forgiveness that he did toward us. And let me ask you a question about your forgiveness. Did you deserve it when he forgave you? Were you acting kindly toward God when he forgave you? Within what should be the standard or the mark for us forgiving others? The same one that God used for us. Forgive people that don't deserve it. Forgive people that don't treat you well. Forgive people that don't want your forgiveness. Forgive the way that God forgave you. That's what the new man does. Now, what's the benefit of these things? This is one way. Remember, Jesus said, by your love shall all men know you're my disciples. That love is this new man operating according to the new man that Paul is talking about here. He's saying one of the benefits, one of the blessings of walking in love or walking according to the new man, putting away the old man that you've been redeemed from, is that not only will the world see who you are, but this is the way that you exercise victory over the devil. You ever notice how bothered the devil was about Job? I know we hear a lot about the story of Job, in some circles at least. People talk about Job this and Job that and what God allowed Job to do and all this kind of stuff. And none of that seems, none of that fits the story. But one thing about the story that's always interested me is how bothered the devil was about Job's blessing. The devil presents himself before God and God says, hey, have you seen my servant Job? The devil says, well, yeah, you built a hedge around him. Well, yeah. That's what operating according to the word does. But the devil wants more. He says, take down that hedge and he'll curse you. Take away his stuff and he'll curse you. God doesn't do anything about it. God says, well, everything he has is in your hands. The devil goes and attacks Job's stuff. Job's faithful still. The devil comes back before the father. God says, see Job. He says, yeah, but that's only because you haven't done anything to his body. Afflict his body and he'll curse you. God says, well, it's not up to me. 
Everything he is is in your hands except his life. So he brings boils and, and afflictions upon Job's body. What does Job do? Doesn't say a word. Doesn't turn against God. It's only when he has well-meaning friends that show up to tell him what a louse he is that Job gets into error. But the devil is really, really bothered by the devil, by God's protection of Job. Well, if that was the case under the, well, I started to say under the old covenant, we don't even know when Job happened. One of the things about the book of Job that we don't know and we can't explain is we don't know when it occurred. We know that Job was not a, 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 a part of Abraham's lineage, so he wasn't part of the old covenant. We know he wasn't after Moses, so he wasn't a part of the law. So what covenant was Job under? I don't have an answer. Had to be before Abraham. Had to be between Noah and Abraham. Past that, I don't know. So what covenant was, was Job operating under? I don't have an answer. And if you can't answer that, you can't answer all the, the specifics and the particulars about what happened and why. So what do we know about the book of Job? We know that God didn't hurt him. The devil did that. God didn't take his stuff. The devil did that. But when God got Job back over to the place where he wasn't feeling sorry for himself and accusing God wrongly, God gave him twice as much as he had before. Now, the part of the book of Job that I wish that's missing that I wish was there is I wish that God had had one final conversation with the devil after he gave him twice as much as he started with. Because now that hedge of protection is back up around Job. What do you think the devil does and, and how do you think he operates when you've got that level of protection around you? We're redeemed. Job wasn't. We've got so much more than anybody had in the Old Testament. We've got so much more than anybody had in Jesus' day. We've been recreated. We've been made a new species of being by the life of God for one and only one purpose. And that's not to spend eternity in heaven with the Father. If that were the purpose, God would have taken you to heaven as soon as you got saved. The purpose during this age is to exercise Jesus' victory over the devil in our lives. We do that by putting on the new man. Let's all stand together. Let's make a confession before we go. Say this after me from your heart. Not just because I'm saying the words, but let your heart agree with it. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. I'm indwelt by the life of God. Recreated by the Holy Ghost who leads me and guides me and orders my steps. I have victory over all the works of the devil in the name of Jesus. I choose to walk in that victory by faith in the word of God to defeat the devil on every hand. And live above his works. This is who I am in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. One of the prayers that Paul prayed for the church as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray was that God would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's nothing greater than to know who you are in Christ what belongs to you because of Jesus' sacrifice and what God's plan and purpose for your life really is. 
Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. So when Paul says in chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, how can it mean anything other than this is the final point that I've been saving till last? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.